0: Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. I have Welcome Lance, Elitist Psycho. Firm, you will see why. We have a great show for you today. I am Al reacting to gore. Gore and Lance Gore. Um, let's pay the bills, and let's pay the bills for you by getting start, you more profit. Go to BuildAbetterCo.com, watch our five steps to increasing your profit, and then reach out to me, a.k.g. at F9Productions.com. What profit gets you is culture. the freedom While to choose your clients, projects, to do better work, Alex Gore, and Atlanta literally to have space in your life, to have time in your life, right? So go check that out. It's a free video. I guarantee, I know, because people have told me. a profit of profit. Al Gore. You can implement some of those in your life, uh, in your firm, and then you can uh, reach out and talk to me if you, if you want to go even further. But if not, it, it's totally worth your time. Lance? Uh,
1: Yeah, so I love that you're going to tie that the uh, Build-A-Better business ties ties into Build-A-Better Co. Build-A-Better Co.com it's going to tie right into the whole show. Oh, cool. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for the first little video I have for you. Uh, Yeah, and if you can't find the product data you're looking for, you might be using the wrong search engine. Broad searches result in consumer products, out-of-date information, websites that hide or don't have the information you're looking for. If you need specifications, CAD or BIM, Arcad.com is your search engine. Find and download the up-to-date data you need fast. Arcad.com is free and requires no registration. So try Arcad today. That's a r c a t dot com. Check them out. They will also help with your profit because they get all of the CAD data specifications, BIM, just like I talked about. They're going to make you more efficient. Go to Arcad.com today. Check it out. Okay, Al, Here's what we got. Yeah. So the title of today's show is: Is architecture an elitist profession? I was uh. triggered. I th- last night, uh, yesterday <clears throat> in the entree architect community about so people are like, I don't see how it is in an elitist profession. How oh, it God, is or isn't that it isn't. And I go, all right, that's the whole show today. So the first thing I want to start out the, the the post. So the triggering happened in the, in the comment section. However, however, the, the videos I'm about to pull up are really good. And so they're from, this gal in New York City, and I'm going to pull him up here, Al, and she, what she starts talking about is, I love that we are finally entering the profit discussion, right? It's only in the last 10 years, I feel like, and kudos to Mark LePage for crushing it with the Entree Architect community and and the whole movement he's created to where it, it is something we talk about all the time, right? Yeah. And, and Al already talked about well, the importance of profit and what it is, right? And so there's been this there's this huge idea that like profit is just greed, profit is just greed, and like that's a really black and white version of what profit really is. When in fact, like yeah, it's probably somewhere in the gray. Like Profit yes. is profit is time with your kids. I love this. Profit is going fishing with the boys this weekend up in Granby. To Granby you catch, catch giant lake trout. Yeah. You know? That's and then profit. you look them in the eye and they look you in the eye. Profit is freedom from guilt. Profit is freedom uh from anxiety of not having money.
0: Profit uh, a profit is paying your staff what they need to be paid, what they should be paid. If you
1: live. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, here, here's part one.
2: The problem, though, and this happened just now, when we start to talk about money, we start to talk about profit. Everyone just turns off. They just do. It's not something that we're excited to, to talk about, unless you're making it, right? But I think that's changing, though. Right? But I, I mean, that's... it's changing. But also, like, okay, so what's a healthy profit margin? What is one? In architecture, what do we think is a healthy profit margin? The AIA has a number to this, by the way. Just throw one out there. 15, 20%. Okay, so what's a healthy profit margin if you're a venture capitalist investing in a company that you want to make money on?
1: Oh, it's like
0: 10, 20, 30. What's a
2: realistic one for a law firm? 40. Close. McKinsey, Management Consulting, what are their profit margins typically? 35 is McKinsey usually. Um, you have a healthcare range between usually 12 and 35. Lawyers are usually around 40 to 50. Right? These are national averages across spectrums. Right? So I'm sure there are law firms that are 10x that, and there are law firms that are like not that. Right? So the majority of firms coming out of recession around like 2015, 2016, 2017 were operating at 10% profit margin. The AIA said they were doing really well at 20, and I think you are just paying your bills at 20, and you maybe can have a few months where you don't get paid. That's just not healthy. Why is that like, lauded as okay? That's not okay. And I shouldn't have to pay $400 for a report to tell me that. Someone should tell me in school that that's not okay.
1: I love that last part. Al, you yeah. were raising your hand there. I could feel you wanting to answer the questions. Well, yeah, yeah,
0: because the, the numbers were spot on. The only thing that I w- would disagree with, we, we, we talked about this in private. Architecture firms, you have to compare yourself to architecture and engineering firms. Here's why.
1: No, say that again, because you just said architecture, you have to compare yourself to architecture and engineering firms. I That oh, is well, I correct. Thought meant, okay, sorry. I meant, yes. I thought, I, I was, sorry, I thought you were going to say lawyers, that's all.
0: No, 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 okay. no, no, no. You can look mm-hmm. at them to give yourselves perspective. But the problem becomes when you start to say, like, hey, we're a tech firm. Like, when she brought up, um, you know, what are, uh, you know, investors, angels, investors, and, and stuff like that looking for a return. Like, they're looking, like, at 40x. You know what I mean? Like, over the 40x? Line. Or oh, 40%? No, no, 40x. Yeah. 40x. And Especially here's in what, the tech sector. Here's what I'm getting at. Here's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Is that if you all of a sudden say that you are a tech company at, and you have 80% margin slash profit. Profit, we aren't in the same boat because we are still service-based. We are still service-based. Unless you want to make an architecture firm that is just tech based and not service-based. Yep. So what I'm getting at is that I I love where she's coming from. She is correct on on all all of those all those numbers. But a 20% and above profit range, if if you're just a one-person firm, that's actually maybe a little bit slim. Because you're just paying one, you know, one person, so like you're only dealing in the hundred to hundred twenty thousand, right? But if you're four, five, six, seven, like anything above twenty percent, like you have you have cash in the bank, right? The average is is thirteen. If you're
1: not overpaying yourself, if you have don't have a lot of uh, commercial debt, right? Paper debt, like you took on the debt to do advertising or something, exorbitant. You haven't over. You're not outliving your means.
0: And I'm telling you, if you are a, a good firm at it, twenty to forty percent in architecture is extremely reasonable. The only extremely
1: reasonable, or extremely good,
0: extremely good, extremely yeah. good. But like, you can hit those numbers. You can hit those numbers. W- above forty percent is, is is great. But like, if you compare, like, oh, the tech industry and 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 firm and law firms do it, like, okay, then go literally make a law firm, make a tech firm. Was
1: did you know that law firm statistic before? No, she said it. I didn't either. Nope. Nope. Did, yeah 35 percent yep interesting yeah it, that was just one right that she had um okay so the caption on on the on the original poster for this says won't architectural services become inaccessible for many if architects try to maximize gains like all these profession professional law firms that's question number one are architects really not paid well I find that so hard to believe um
0: i I have a two prong answer to to that yeah, is when my firm has enough profit and I'm not overworked, I do do things for my community, meaning architectural wise meaning literally for the community design a community pool, yeah right mm-hmm. for free to get the conversation on the ground. My school that my kids go to is a charter school, and they are going to uh want to expand and take over some area, and I know exactly how to do it, which means present a plan with a bunch of trees on it and have neighborhood meetings before you go to the city. And I would do all that for free as well. Um, The other thing too is like, I I think people don't think about this. We are, (laughs) I want to go back and forth on this
1: elite thing because like, yes, do it. And then, but just so you know, like I'm going to devil's advocate you. Th- that's I'm just, why I'm, I'm just chomping at the bits. To do I'm going to devil's advocate
0: myself, <laughs> <I> <laughs> <could>. <laughs> but think about this. Our, our firm is getting extremely better at design and <clears throat> delivery. Yeah. And part of profit is becoming efficient. We can, and we do not feel bad about doing builder houses and doing them. Cur- not we're cur- doing them to the best ability, design ability, spatial ability that we can and thus making those profitable, too.
1: The evil cookie-cutter houses is what he's
0: describing for yes. all those elites listening. Yes. So um, that's that's here's the difference. Here's the difference. I think about it in a different way. I think a lot of architects say like, hey, why can't a middle-to-lower-class person get architectural services? It's not going to be profitable. It's not. It's like saying, why can't a middle-class-to-lower-class uh, person get a custom car? It just doesn't work out. Or... Go ahead. Let me finish. Sorry, sorry, interrupting, Lance. <laughs> can that same person can can we, in architects, try to take over the the cookie cutter houses and make a great one for them? Yes, that does work. It does work in that way. So switch the way that you're thinking about servicing them. You can't do it the oh, way you. that. Okay, that's that's what that's. What think I was gonna, about. I, I was hoping you would say that. I was worried yeah, you weren't. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. Does you that get, make complete sense? Right. You need to design. Your services for that particular clientele. So, so like you can serve the lower and middle class profitably if you switch your mindset. Yes, exactly, hundred percent, hundred percent. But,
0: but the the counter the devil's advocates. But then they're not getting a custom custom home. Like, yeah, like no one's getting a custom custom car too. Yeah. You, like, let's let's get the basis covers and all that. And then when you plant trees and you paint it differently and you add on addition, like then it gets custom.
1: Over time, yeah, over are you time, you can afford it. Yeah, it's true. That that's literally how the suburbs work. So, uh, my my response to the questions were, I said they already are. This isn't new. We aren't. We are an elitist profession, and the AIA doesn't help it not be. My firm strives to serve even the lower and middle class. And I said, define well, and that's uh, the well part. We don't really have to get into. I, I mean, that that that's that's like what is well, right? That's it's subjective. It's not. Well, there's there's an income part I'm going to talk about later. But I want to focus on the elitist part, okay? Okay. 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 Yep. So <clears throat> there's this uh, great white paper that I found uh, this morning, and it's called Elitism, IT, or IT, and the Modern Architect Opportunity or Dilemma. It's by Larry Bar- uh, Barrow. And so it's his abstract his thesis or his dissertation. But this part I wanted to focus on right here, and it's uh, the introduction of it is It says, formal architecture has traditionally been an elite activity isolated to the rich and ruling. Today's modern architect is a product of this evolutionary heritage. Vernacular architecture has traditionally been an activity of the masses, the poor and the powerless. Vernacular architecture, like Al was describing, right? Like cookie-cutter homes that eventually get customized as people live in them for a while, get some equity, the trees grow up, they change the color of the siding, uh, stuff like that, right? Yep. Here, the designer and builder are typically synonymous with the owner slash user. Simplicity and form, efficiency of materials, and limited material pa- palettes have at times resulted by formal analysis of modern architecture in a thing simple and functional, efficient beauty. This is to say, the design and artistic expression are not isolated to the formally trained architect or the elite. Right? So, <clears throat> by this by this introduction to definition, and just based on past precedents. It should be pretty obvious to everybody listening like, no, nope, it's a, it's an elitist profession, even in the historical context, right? like the the kings and the Roman Catholic Church had to commission people like Michelangelo to do all of the statues to make to make all of all of the cathedrals. like that that is how it worked. Yep, hands down, right? And then were the peasants commissioning the architects? To build their little vernacular huts. No. It should be pretty obvious, right? <laughs> um, okay.
0: I think elitist, and I understand this and I agree with this, is seen as a bad term. And it can be a bad term. Sure. I think it's dependent. Here's a devil's advocate. Should, should architects and the people who are leading the planning and design and literally the built environment, be elite. Yes. What's the good way to be an elitist? What's the bad way? The bad way is the obvious way. It's led by an aristocrat. An aristocrat is where you're just taking profit. You're making everyone else do the work and you're not adding anything to it, right? You're literally just sucking out of it. And then through your position and your intellect, you're just draining the system. That is the typical negative connotation of elitist led. Right. If you think, if you change that word to elite and your firm, whether it's an architect, whether it's a company, whether it's a manufacturing plant, if you're led by a mindset that is engineering based, artist based, and like building based, like literally like a doer, I think that that is a good way to be an elite. Yeah. Literally, the engineering mindset. I'm not even talking about the scientific mindset. I'm not even talking about marketing mindset. I'm talking about engineering, artist, architect, artist, and a doer. That replace a, uh, an aristocrat with that,
1: and then let's do a lead in the right way. Yeah, By pro- yeah, exactly, hundred uh, percent. I, I, I like the the cost comparison. Yeah, so elitist, right? in in, the, in that context would be like, your average middle American, and I'm going to get into the income of like, what even is that? Like, what is middle America at this point, right? Like, and then can the can that average middle American or lower than them afford an architect? And that's where the elitist term comes in. It's like, oh, well, I can't afford that architect, therefore it's an elitist profession. It is something I will never be able to afford. And again, we set it up with, we're talking about, the past history of architects going from can you are you who's who's actually doing the cathedrals michelangelo at like an elite designer an elite architect and an elite individual right but you can't it's hard to separate the two of like okay but could the could could joe blow hire him back in the day to do his vernacular hut no no so it's <laughs> so it's elitist just like the two two things can be two at once, right much as I don't like that Ben Shapiro, like he—that is one phrase. Or he says that is correct. Two things can be true at once. Yes. Okay, <clears throat> so I've got uh, Pew Research here has this article out, and they—they uh, they, they give you a little calculator. It's awesome. So Al and I are gonna play the calculator. And what, it, what it's showing is it says, um, basically, it's are you in the middle class? Find out with our income calculator. So let's figure out what the middle class is in Colorado real quick here. We're gonna pick Colorado, and then we're gonna put. Wow. Yeah, it just scrolls right past it. And then we're going to put, we're in the area, just Denver, good Denver. enough. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to put the household income as $100,000. Yep. A nice round number. Six figures, right? Two people. The American dream. Thank you. Two, two Exactly. You see where I'm going with this. Two people. This seems like a pretty good average guess. Would you agree so far, Al? I would. I would. And We're going to calculate it, right? Based on your household income. And the number of people in your household, you are in the middle income tier. Hey, congratulations! Hi. So, in other words, if you, if you make if you and your, your spouse make a hundred thousand dollars in the Denver metro area, that's it. You're there, man. So basically, fifty k per, per per person in the household. P- pretty simple, right? How does that compare with with your rest so Let's just do a quick cross check just to make sure that like ah is, it, is this like translatable everywhere else, right? Let's just say it's just high school degree too. That's all the education is. So like your average person, your average person, 30 to 40, 30 to 44. Perfect, perfect, uh, earning. Most people earners are there. Right. And let's just do white. Cause it's a white majority, uh, country uh, still by a little bit and we'll do up oh, married or not married. Oh, and we'll do married. Uh, do you, so, so yeah. the average, again, the average household, like this typical family, we're trying to sort of generate in our brains, right? Results say among all American adults with your education, race, or ethnicity and marital status, 28% are lower income, 63% are middle income. So so again, 63, 63 boom. There was there was the answer, right? Here's where, here's where I'm going with this. Okay. There's a couple images I want to bring up, and that is wages then versus rent. So we're defining, we're seeing like, yep, that's what it is. Each person's making 50K. That's kind of ubiquitous across America. All good. And I've got two graphs. I, Al, Al loves graphs. I love graphs. Uh, that should have been my name. Al Graf Gore. It should have been your name. Yep. So the first one I want to show is this graph. If you're listening terrestrially, not watching on the YouTube, it the on the on the left hand side of the graph, it starts at 1985, goes all the way to 2020. The title is percent percent median percent change in median household income and Medium rent price. And here, ever uh, most people who are at least uh, uh, slightly awake listening to this show. And people, some people are super awake, and they know that, like you've heard, you've heard the the phrase, the statistic, the buzzword, all of that of like stagnant wages. Wages haven't increased over time, you know, c- compared to uh, cost of living. Here's a perfect graph, right? Look at the medium rent price as it relates to the wages. These stagnant wages, wages we have in America, right? <clears throat> There's a huge gap. Like this is literally the gap between between the rich and the poor and, and how it all works right second one I want to bring up is wages versus just prices of property right and why 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 am I bringing up rent and like actual property right isn't that architecture like that's architecture you're living in the architecture right so <clears throat> is there a, is there like can the average American then like they're having trouble just affording rent if they're having just a aff- trouble affording rent how are they gonna afford an architect? To do their vernacular stuff, right? Their average, their average sort of things. Do you see how like we're like we're going? Like it's full circle with history here. Like we are full circle with history in this whole argument, hundred percent.
0: Um, I was I was going to uh, take my favorite pot shop at uh, planning departments and saying planning departments are elitist. Because they're the ones slowing down. It, it's literally supply and demand. Through protectionism, 100%. And then obviously supply and demand is influenced by the Fed. Front. And I'm glad you brought rate. up the planning department because I want to tie that in with the AIA yep. at the end here. And and well, there's, there's this theme that I'm I'm spouting out here, and I'll tell you where it's coming from. I bought the book uh, Barbarians to Bureaucrats. It's the life cycle of business, right? So you start out as a barbarian, right? Then you go to a builder. Then you're a, a synergist, then administrator. Then you're a bureaucrat. mm you know those big corporations like you know like BlackRock, XL, sure. You know what I mean? Like why why are you taking six months to like because they have a monopoly? Then you're an aristocrat and then people revoke, right? Or your company just dies, right? So um, at e- each company slash a planning department can be led by one of these, but the planning departments are led by a bureaucracy and like in elitist way, meaning like they they you <laughs> it adds on to the cost of an architect it adds on to the cost of like you have to buy land and now you need to wait a year to the go interest, through right, the process the interest you know. of holding it
1: yep the holding costs and all of that it's uh the planning departments the planning departments are a barrier to to increasing the supply of the built environment it doesn't matter if it's commercial if it does like that, that everybody obviously knows this right but i'm trying to like i'm trying to paint the picture of like okay so if you under if you if we if we all agree on that uh, okay fair enough who can influence that like who can influence the planning departments to start pushing back and trying to deregulate them to a to a more common sense level right before anybody per, per, uh, listening to this starts clutching their pearls and goes like "Lance wants to abolish everything yeah yeah but I'm not, no one ever I'm never gonna get that right I'm just saying so sort of like okay have they gone too far? Have the planning departments gone too far? Have the building departments gone too far? Has the codes gone too far? Right, and like through their sort of nasty kind of a, a lobbying that happens with like the fire, the fire and insulation, fire and bombing. insulation lobby groups, all that kind of stuff, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, right in that direction. Who's supposed to push back? There's a big organization out there. I don't know if anybody knows who they're called, but they're it's called the American Institute of Architects, right? There's a ton of architects that belong to that institution, right? You know who pushes back for builders and realtors and people who sell properties, the, the national organization of home builders, they push back all and the realtors, time yeah. and realtors. They push back all the time to try to, to try to make, because they know that the overregulation of, and the, that, that problem is their problem to help solve. So, so I mean, to say it, Bluntly, if
0: you don't like the architects' elitist term, right? Let's say you don't like it. Yep. And let's say it's more of the don't aggressive. Believe it. You don't believe it. Then then you should be fighting the IBC to, uh, to uh, not rack it up the electrical costs, the insulation costs, the the detailing costs. And and if you think, well, yeah, it makes a better home. I I would probably probably I'll I'll agree with you.
1: He, he'll, he'll but capitulate, capitulate just to get it through.
0: A B A BMW is better than a Toyota. I don't necessarily believe that, but you you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to make everything to a BMW standard? Now now now, the, literally lower class cannot afford a car because you want it to be the best car. Or let's just say Tesla. Are you going to make every car be a Tesla? Every car has to be a Tesla. It, Teslas are better. Let's say you even have green power. Yeah. Let's say you have green power. Yeah. yeah, they're better. We're always pushing to that. Okay, now you realize people can't, middle and lower class cannot afford a Tesla. So which which label do you want? Thank you.
1: Which label do you want? Yeah, Beautiful. Okay, let's 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 shift the lens a little bit, right? So we're talking about like a lot of ec- economics. Who can who can afford even an architect? And so is, are they? Is it elitist under that en- lens, right? What about just the societal lens of, of? Well, actually, what if it's sorry? What if it's what if it relates to like elitism within the profession itself, right? Great article here by Dzine, and it's and it says architecture is more elitist than the most elite university oh. in the world. The architecture profession. This is going to hit home because me and Al are state boys. You'll see in a second. A lot of listeners are state boys and girls here for sure. Um, <clears throat> the architecture profession. We're probably not as cool as I will. F- we're probably not as cool as Nick, who is. Uh, a, we're not a Cincy boy. Uh, we, did, we didn't. Hey, boys. we didn't go to Cincy. We're not that cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to my last
0: point, I want to add a caveat. You can be those two things at once. You can. You can push for, I want to design the the Teslas of houses, Bingo. but allowing for, oh, sometimes I need to make a Toyota Camry, which works extremely well, extremely well for for other people of other needs. So
1: like, let's just not say that everyone has to be a Tesla. Thank you. One size doesn't fit all. Doesn't fit all. The architecture profession needs to face up to the fact that it is dominated by those that went to private schools, according to Open City Director Phineas Harper, We need to start talking about the impact of private schools on architecture. The Open City Director and former Architecture Foundation Deputy Director wrote in a thread on Twitter. Fewer than half architects in Architecture Foundation book are from state schools. At least 90% of the people in the UK receive their education from state schools, which are free to attend and funded by the government. But... When Harper's former employer, the Architecture Foundation, analyzed 93 architecture practices featured in the t- in its 2016 book of New Architects three, it found that just 45% of their founders had been to state schools, according to Harper. This is significantly lower than the 68% of new colleges at Cambridge University last year who we went to state schools, the Dezeen columnist pointed out. Succeeding in architecture practices is more elitist than the most elite university in the world, Harper said. Harper made the comments as the U.K. government received intense criticism for using an algorithm to determine the grades of A-level students who have been unable to take their exams this year. Well, there's something else, yeah. Um, so, it, like, elitism, through a whole different lens here, right? Just within the architecture community in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Two two things can be true at once, right? I mean, it can, you can, like, like why why... Why can't why why is it so difficult to own that title or, or noun that's describing you, right? Elitist. Like, okay, yeah, right. By def by just default, by default, if I'm a like a, your average architect, the average person can't afford me. That's just how it works. That's yeah. just how it works. Because he, I'll I'll tell you why. I'll play
0: devil's advocate. Okay. Um uh what what are what are very rich people called um derogatory
1: what <laughs> the rich i don't know
0: <laughs> but, you know the elite? the elite evil you know all this other stuff right um and in a lot oh, of the, oh
1: I, I think you're looking for like the marxist term uh bourgeoisie are they are they bourgeoisie just
0: whatever negative
1: oh, connotation okay.
0: yeah. uh, you know it doesn't matter we we can say elite okay. right um and when you talk to them or Fox News defended them, you know, and, and, and me in the sense of like, Hey, they, they are that rich because you buy stock and buy stuff in Walmart and you buy that because they're providing a service to them. So like you can vote with your, with your dollar, with their dollar. Right. So what a lot of people are, uh, backtracking on that is like, I'm not, I'm not elitist. I'm not, you just called me a negative term. So my reaction is, is No. Right, But I think this conversation should maybe just have everyone open up the perspective aperture, open it up and say, okay, if you believe that you are not elitist or don't want your firm to be elitist, what are you doing to, to not be that? And I'm telling you structurally, if you're going to do 20% time or 50% time working for middle class or lower, it's not going to work. It's not gonna work because it doesn't make sense because then then you will just be poor, stressed, and overworked, right? If you take it to maybe maybe there are uh, options in the code that you can advocate for. Maybe there are things that you can work with, you know, developers to make those neighborhoods better. Um, and 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 there are people doing that, right? Uh, there are great suburban homes and things like that. There's great multifamily buildings, right? There's getting efficient at that, getting efficient at doing really great multifamily buildings. I've been looking at a lot of architecture firms. There's a lot of great placemaking and architecture being done there. So if you don't like the term, just literally think about what you're doing. And I only just advise not not going down the path that doesn't like physical. Like physics, it doesn't make sense for you to do
1: it that way. Yeah, I'm gonna name drop. Go look at ShopWorks. Chad Holzinger is murdering it right now. He has a very successful firm, and they provide beautiful placemaking and buildings for the most vulnerable among us. Hmm. He, it's all, it's all, it's, it's it's homeless stuff. And like you look at the buildings, you go like, if you literally look at the buildings, you're driving along I-25, you can go. That's cool. There, you, you go. It's cool, but you go. I, I wouldn't suspect that homeless people live there. No That's problem. all it is. That's all it is. Uh, Chad's figured it out. Chad's figured it out. So, uh, what the um, you know, back to what I was saying in reaction to this video, which was which was the AIA doesn't do anything to help make it a less elitist environment right? A less elitist in profession. How does the? Okay, let me explain to you exactly how the AIA is not helping. Like you prove to me otherwise, but I I've looked, I've been waiting. I will join the AIA when I have to stop. When I, when I finally get to, I don't have to explain what an architect does to the general public over and over and over again from, from the inquiries that the inquiries that we're getting either through the website or a phone call or, or whatever. Nobody knows like the general public the people, the average middle class person that I have dealt with in the last 15 years at F9 generally does not know. They confuse it with the structural engineer or a builder. Who comes first? Who comes last? Why do I need an architect? Oh, oh, I only need an architect because the codes and the regulations in Denver have gotten so onerous that I'm forced to do it. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I built, I did an anarchy build, and now they caught me, and I have to, and I, I, need, I need Lance to bail me out. Yep. Happens all the time. That's not my biggest gripe because I think it's too much of an ass,
0: but I will back you up on the point of uh, you're 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 actually proving Lance right when you say like, hey, need to plan new infrastructure and all that stuff like call an architect. It's like, OK, that's great. I understand that we have value and that we needed to the seat at the table. But like that that's like that's elite pitching. Like, that was
1: their video. That's that was their that pitching. was their what he's describing is that that was their big um, one of their big commercials they put out in the last couple of years. We we showed it on a previous episode. Oh,
0: I've got an email advertised in my Gmail, you know, about it like infrastructure development like who you are when you're talking about big projects like that. There's only a thousand decision makers. You know what I mean? Like it's the governor, it's the planning department and stuff like that. That's not a campaign to broadcast on TV. That's yeah. not, you know what I mean. Like, do your the market, masses. do the masses. That that's it. if you want to do a campaign, that's fine. You literally have someone come up with all those leads, and then you just send it to those
1: people. Yeah, it's a thousand people. <laughs> far, no. could, I bet you could buy the list of email contacts. Yeah, pretty easy. Okay, so I'm going to contrast before I before I start ripping apart the AIA here is uh, <clears throat> I'm back to just to make just to prove what I'm saying correct about the National Association of Home Builders. They do they do what the what I think the AIA should also be doing. The NA here's the article. The NAHB tells Congress how excessive regulations and codes harm housing affordability. Bar none. they do it. So like I'm I'm gonna breeze past that. So I was like, "You know what? Maybe Lance will be proven wrong in this podcast. Maybe yeah, Lance, maybe they did that." That'd be great. The AIA? Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, "Oh, cool." Al. We let's, hey, might be time to join, bro. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to win some AIA awards. I think yeah. we could do it. Local chapter, network. It'd be great. Yeah. People, we're likable people. Yeah. Show me they did it. So I went to the AIA.org and I started looking around. Uh, let's design t- together a better world. It's a little video here and there's some architects sitting around. Uh, anything about affordability? AIA is the largest, most influential network of architects and design professionals. That's ninety-eight thousand members who share a passion for design, change, change the world. Commitment to the highest standards of practice. Cool. That's a lot of people. That's a lot. Cool. Of There's Good some job. latest here. AIA grants honorary membership. AIA calls to repeal tax provision. Whitney Douglas something. Launch of animated digital hub. Here's a feature project. Um, access the AIA Resor- resource center. Uh, What's the tax provision, honestly? Well, I'll get to that. Hang on one second. Yeah. So, you know, okay. Here's the, here's the thing. I will go back to that, I promise. Yeah. Don't let me forget. Here's the, here's, so, I, so I'm so i still looking literally at the website and going, all right, well, is there anything like, I want to change. I wa- hey, we're advocating for change. NAHB is having change. From the AIA.org, be a voice for change. AIA advocacy efforts are based on our values. We advocate at the federal, state, and local levels for climate action. Oh, equity, student loan debt relief, business interests, and more. We champion meaningful policies that enable architects to build better buildings and take decisive action on issues that matter most to our industry. Ah, I didn't see the word affordability. I didn't see, like... Well, us um, more of the issues. Maybe it's in there. Exactly. Hey, let's go to the issues. Let's go to the issues here. Tackle urgent issues with the AIA. AIA has a rich history of advocating for impactful designs, making a difference from the Democracy and Design Act to discern... Student loan debt relief, among many other things, help us engage with federal, state, and local legislatures to advocate for matters most, for what matters most. All right. Cool. Sounds good. They're a force for positive change. Um, AIA's advocacy efforts are powered by the collective voice and actions of, again, 98,000-plus members. Stay good today. We're taking on urgent issues affecting the architecture profession in the AEC industry. So uh, – Looking for that issue, right? They got some international efforts they're trying to do where federal they're trying policy to policy issues. All right, federal policy issues. The more involved members are at the federal level, the greater positive impact on businesses, communities, and the profession at large. Our top issues include yeah. <laughs> climate action, infrastructure, taxes, students, historic preservation, and design policy. So <clears throat> I,
0: I, I like the term elite when it's led by engineers, art, artists, builders, stuff like that. Okay. Top issues. First one is climate action and infrastructure and taxes, like elite. And then the student one. Okay. I, I um, uh, Robert Moses, the power broker. Great book. Every planner should read it. If you have the time, it's huge. Every architect should re- read it. Um, what what happens is organizations like the AI and other organizations is they start off trying to do good and then they get they literally get hammered by money interest. Sure. So is it better for the AIA to say we need to make architecture education more affordable so that we don't have the debt. You're going to be hammered by the colleges who are making a bunch of money and the banks. And then you just pivot to say debt relief which is literally printing money which is increasing uh uh inflation which is lowering responsibility which is lowering critical thought like you're placating i'm sorry you are placating and not hitting the real issue
1: and you're doing it At at its root
0: at its root at its root you're you're literally cutting off like little uh leaves and saying like why is the tree still growing you're like
1: there's some wins, they say. Resources and wins. Uh, AI, practice primer, um, policy platform, cl- again, climate action, climate action. Um, let's see here. What else? But Al wanted to talk about. What did you want to talk about? You wanted go to you want me scroll to
0: up, sc- up, scroll up, scroll up, scroll up. Keep going. Keep going. Keep right there. Nope. Uh, next one up. It's going to be the next where there's like four or five across. Oh, yeah. There yeah, yeah, yeah. we go. The tax. AI one? calls to
1: repeal tax provision. Okay. All right. Let's see what that is. Congress uh, should also repeal the harmful research and development tax amortization provision and make it retroactive to cover tax, tax year 2022 to ensure the tax code continues to po- support innovation. Okay. Uh, that's what they're doing. Uh, so, yeah, in okay. just this year, Washington, uh, January 11, 2024, the American Institute of Architects calls on Congress to work in bipartisan manner to expeditiously pass a funding deal to avoid a government shutdown.
0: <laughs> R&D to remain competitive, offer Congress should also
1: repeal the harmful research and development tax amortization provision and make it retroactive to cover tax year 2022 to ensure that the tax code continues to support innovation. Architecture firms throughout the U.S. conduct R&D to remain competitive to offer solutions to help solve issues like make buildings more resilient to our changing climate. If the amortization is not repealed, architecture firms of all states, uh face a dramatic impact on our tax liability. Architects and the entire built economy need the federal government to function efficiently to to establish a consistent and clear tax policy. So the innovation is for climate change, but not. Innovating your practice such that, yeah, I'm still going to serve the top 1% and design the BMWs of homes, but I am not going to innovate my firm such that I can make it so efficient and streamlined that everyone gets a Toyota. That everybody gets that I can still serve the Toyotas of the world. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's why that's why it's elitist. I you don't know. You guys made else Lance hot. Came in hot. I got we're gonna close it out here in a yeah. second. Just so wanna share a quote that I received. This is this is like you're proving how this is elitist. This is unbelievable. What would a lawsuit cost you? This is what somebody said to me due to E and O Arizona missions insert. Would an injury to a job site during CA cost you? Serving lower middle clients is Walmart's job, not yours. You worked hard to get here. You're proving it, bro. Uh, part two. So there's <coughs> the last oh. thing I want to leave everybody with is there's a, it, before we jump into ARE Jeopardy is uh, I have a part two from this gal.
2: And frankly, and it doesn't just have to be about money. The way I talk about this with my students is that, because in school, hopefully, you're in a position where you don't have to worry so much about money and eating, right? But in school, what's really valuable to you is your time. It's finite, right? There's only so many hours in the day, right? And whether you want to build by the hour or not, If you think about, okay, you learned really early on, if I can just stay up another hour, it'll be perfect. Or I can produce this other drawing and everyone will love it. And then maybe they look at it, maybe it makes or breaks the entire project, or maybe they don't. But we learn that our sort of reward system is that I'm gonna stay up and I'm gonna do that. So when I was working at Studio Gang, we built a model, even though the competition said that they weren't gonna reimburse us for models. Why? they lost. Why? Yeah, they got to second, and yeah, they were competing with another French firm, and Jeannie's brilliant, but why? Why was that a good idea? There's a pleasure-reward system that says, like, if I can do this, and I can just get this project, and I'll just accept it, and that's just not okay. So make it okay to talk about what profit is, what's a healthy amount of time to spend on something. I'm going to ask one question. Yes. Yes.
1: That's exactly it, right? It's reform. So it's going, it's going, okay, how do I make those projects with the smaller fees profitable? It's probably not that approach, right? Yeah. That approach is going to have to change. Like, the, if you're really trying to bend to the market and serve a much wider swath of the market here, architects, then that, this is the market challenging you. This is the market tell, like telling you to level up do things like go to better, com, go to the rabbit rocket ship and get on the rabbit rocket ship at this point like until until those kind of things happen and you ha- you you read paul aker's book uh, the 2 second lean you read you have your firm read the 7 habits of highly effective people uh those type of things i i then uh, just call call yourself what it is you are you're an elitist own it it is what it is like you can be true there you go I, he subbed it up.
0: Yeah. He subbed it up. Okay. What do we got next Out. Let's bring down everyone for A.R.E. Jeopardy. Let's go. Ready? Question number one. When selecting interior finishes, excuse me, for commercial space, which factor is most critical for ensuring occupant health and well-being? Is it A, trendiness and aesthetics? B, low cost and budget friendliness? Is it C, durability and maintenance requirements? Or is it D, indoor air quality and materials emission? DCC. The answer is D, and it is D because the question was for occupancy health and well being, which is indoor air quality and material. Emissions. If it was for ensuring, you know, value, it might have been C, durability and maintenance requirements. Uh, question two, what is the primary goal of transit oriented development in urban planning? Is it A, maximize the use of automobiles? Is it B, promote pedestrian-friendly environments? Is it C, increase reliance on single-use zoning? Or D, to minimize public transportation options? Once I read through that again today, I made this yesterday, I was like, okay, it's obvious. Promote pedestrian-friendly environments. The other ones were like not good goals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Lance. Number three is Alan Aletus? No. What is the <laughs> most versatile material to serve the structural function when creating complex geometries? Is it A, wood, B, steel, C, concrete, or D, brick masonry? Correct answer is B. Steel should be obvious. Um, number four: the majority of building materials and methods currently in the marketplace economically lend themselves to constructing what? Is it A. Flat planes? B. Spherical geometry? C. Warp planes? D. Uniformly curved surface? Correct answer is A. All right, what do we got for scores? It, did you lose? Did you ah? Oh! Jason, no tiebreaker. Where are we going to eat?
0: I don't know. First, give him your stamp. <laughs> Where are we
1: going to eat? Oh, That's great. I can't be here today, but that's an amazing I'm going to try to be there. Okay, awesome. If you like this episode and you want to leave us a positive comment, that would be great. We'd do it on the YouTube. If you are an elitist and you want to actually leave us a negative comment because I crushed you, then leave us a negative one. See you next week.